Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Blog Talk Radio listeners. I'm Evangelist Wanda Clay, sharing God's sacred word Bible study with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you do. And though our best isn't good enough, we come asking for forgiveness. You are like none other higher than the highest. So I ask that you fix that that needs fixing everywhere for everybody. Because you already know our needs, fix them, Lord Jesus. And move in me, Lord, to help others understand your word on this talk show. I pray that you continue its growth and bless Blog Talk Radio financially and spiritually. Lord God, give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of what you want us to know. And I pray for those who seek your word to find you, Heavenly Father. Bless and watch over them in Jesus' name. Let them and everyone everywhere learn to depend on you. And those who have found you, strengthen us, Lord. Lead and guide us not into temptation, but help us to just walk away. Bless those, Lord, who are struggling and those not struggling, because we need a blessing from you, Heavenly Father, today. Heavenly Father, to love and pray for ourselves and others. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Before I start, let me again thank God for guiding me, and I pray for everyone's understanding of his word. And as always, I thank Minister Joel Lewis and Granny's Place for giving me this opportunity. I'm here three Fridays a month, 8 to 8.30 a.m. Plus, on uh, Facebook, at Peace Keep God First, first being written 1ST, you're welcome to join our group 24 hours tomorrow. Now, due to time on Blog Talk Radio, I will give you the outline of each chapter, and I'll comment on some verses. Now, let's get into our lesson. Philippians chapter 1. The outline for Philippians chapter 1 is as follows. The first part of the chapter is the greetings, which are in verses 1 through 2. The second part is thanksgiving and prayer for the Philippians, verses 3 through 11. The third part of the chapter is Paul's personal circumstances, verses 12 through 26. And the last and fourth part of the chapter are exhortations, living a life worthy of the gospel, in verse 27 through verse 30. Now, since Paul was very well known and recognized at Philippi as an apostle and Timothy as his brother, he didn't as he did with the Corinthians and the Galatians. 
And he simply opened with calling Timothy, servant of Christ Jesus, to all the saints at Philippi. And if you notice, most of Paul's letters were addressed to Christians. And he did this to prevent officers like uh, bishops and deacons from imagining that his writings were their property to communicate parts of the letter that they saw fit to read to the people. And as I said before, that Paul usually didn't mention deacons and elders as he did here, but there were a great number of bishops in Philippi, which could be the reason why Paul mentioned these congregational officers in his letter. And another reason could be that they were probably connected with the gift of money which he had received from that church, a gift which in all probability was administered and dispatched by the elders and the deacons. And it's only right that they would be greeted in his salutation with Paul showing his gratitude with love for them for sending him money. In verse 1 and 2, it says that Paul was the sole author of this epistle, and Timothy, who was with him at the time, was just added as a courtesy. Although Timothy was associated with Paul in several other Pauline letters, Timothy had a deep interest in the Philippians because he had been with Paul when their congregation was established and probably he had visited them several times. Acts sixteen eleven through 40. When we're locked up, we're sick, grieving, or down, and someone sends you money, gifts, or visits you, it makes one's heart thankful to that person, letting you know that you're not forgotten. When you have someone who's struggling, it pleases the heart to know that someone cares. So in Paul's situation, being locked up for a crime he didn't commit and all the suffering he went through, I'm quite sure he was very thankful. Now, in the New Testament, there are six, maybe seven synonyms or titles that belong to the New Testament offices, such as a bishop. A bishop can be referred to as an overseer. A pastor can be referred to as a shepherd. Students are talked about in Titus 1 and 7. Deacons can be referred to as a servant or a minister. And in the New Testament, deacons are not mentioned elsewhere except in 1 Timothy 3 and 8. In Acts 6 and 2. In verses 3, 4, and 5, it explains that Paul's prayers were more like a list of things that he had already received and thanksgiving was offered for them with joy. Paul says, a Christian joy is that an emotion higher than pleasure gladness, laughter, delight, and the whole family of related emotions are unworthy to be compared to Christian joy, 
which is not only eternal, but it's sacred, it's pure, and it's holy as well. Then in 1, 3 through 5, he flips the script. And Paul's words seem to become more than usually earnest and passionate. And he writes to the Philippians with a dear and loving heart, while Paul thanks them for their fellowship, which meant more than just sharing something like uh, fellowship of a bank robbers or dividing the loot. But it meant sharing and participating in something greater than people involved and more lasting than the activity of any given minute. That it meant being caught up in a communion created by God from the first day of Paul's preaching in Philippians. Acts financially to Paul's support throughout their acquaintance with the apostle. And all people should take this lesson to heart. The true extent of one's love of the Lord is measured by the amount of sacrifice he's prepared to help in the process of the gospel. Today we call it tithing in the church for the operation of the church. And it's said that Paul was pleased with the Philippians for several reasons, which included their fellowship of grace and faith. He was pleased in their prayer and thanksgiving of being believers with each other. He was pleased in them loving one another in helping each other, in contributing to each other's needs, of helping promote the gospel. And he was pleased with their separation from the world and of eternal warfare of believers struggling side by side against a common cause. Being a Christian family, he was pleased. Now, to me, that's beautiful. I'm going to read this again. And it says that Paul was pleased with the Philippians for several reasons, which included fellowship of grace and faith, prayer and thanksgiving, of being believers with each other, in loving one another, in helping each other. He was pleased with them uh, contributed to each other's needs of helping promote the gospel. He was pleased of their separation from the world and of eternal warfare of believers struggling side by side against a common cause, being a Christian family. Now, to me, that's beautiful. Now, back to Paul. Now, Paul doesn't refer to himself as the founder of the church at Philippi, though in a sense he was the founder. But Paul preferred to give the glory to God, recognizing the Father as the one who actually converted them and brought them to a saving knowledge of the Savior. And let it be noted here that Paul's confidence was not in the Philippians but in God. It was the conduct of those Philippians up to that point which inspired Paul with confidence concerning their ultimate destiny. 
even though it's true that God does foreordain and predestinate souls to eternal life, there was absolutely nothing in God's doing to compel the Philippians to be such souls. That is not what Paul declared here. Rather, his declaration is that the evidence proves the Philippians to be such souls by their conduct throughout his acquaintance with them, and that God will surely reward them eternally uh, the final day of the second event of Christ, which is called in the New Testament the judgment. That is the day toward which all the world moves. Paul's deep affection for the Philippians is very easy to understand because nothing calls them to waver in their constant help of his preaching mission. Not even Paul's imprisonment calls them to cut out Paul in grace and not partakers of Paul's grace. In verse 8, Paul asks them, Did I speak of having you in my heart? I should rather have said that in the heart of Jesus Christ alone for you. Now, this is a powerful metaphor uh, describing a perfect union. The believer has no yearling apart from his Lord. His heart beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart sobs with the heart of Christ. And Paul's profession of love for the Philippians was genuine. Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment because they had an inaccurate understanding of the mind of Christ. And Paul longed for a better balance in the characters. Therefore, he prayed, not as most that our love be in proportion to our life, but that he prayed that their intelligence be as great as their affection. Despite any deficiencies in their knowledge, Paul heartily approved of the abounding love of the Philippians. Philippians, I'm sorry. Paul wanted the Philippians to grow in knowledge in order to avoid offense in living the Christian life sincerely. Now, this word sincerely is derived from two Latin words, sin meaning without and sir meaning what. The Italian marble vendors and certain merchants of porcelain used the hidden flaws in their merchandise by filling cracks and blemishes with a certain kind of wax. But the more reputable dealers advertised their wares as sincere without wax. And Paul wanted the Philippians to be without deception or without hypocrisy, having the fruit of righteousness of Jesus Christ in contrast to that which is by the law. And Paul says, and to have 
the fruit of that righteousness, the believer must be in Christ and identify with Christ. So here, Paul prayed on behalf of the Philippians that on the day of judgment that they might be filled with all the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and not the law. In verses 10 and 11. Then in verse 12, Paul flips the script again, and he writes about himself. And he says in the last half of the book of Acts, a great many incredible things happened to him. And he's revealing his life as an odyssey, surpassing that of any other saved Christian alone who ever lived on the earth. And in addition, he briefly mentions many other things not even hinted at in Acts and in Second Corinthians eleven twenty three through thirty. Only a man found this Humility could have made this casual reference to such a list of suffering and hardships as that which marked Paul's life. And rather than dwelling on them, Paul rejoices that the net result of all he has endured has been the spread of the gospel of Christ. Paul, although he was blessed with some liberty, he was nevertheless still chained to Roman soldiers at all times, his captor being chained several times a day. And this provided Paul, Paul with the captive to leave the whole body of troops assigned to the person of the emperor in verse 13. And Paul's imprisonment became generally known as unconnected with any kind of crime or misdemeanor, and it derived solely from his faithfulness in preaching the gospel of Christ. Isn't that awful? With Paul being bound with troops, gave him the opportunity to preach the gospel to them, which turned out to be a good thing. It is said, Paul is one of the noblest of the greatest of all men. And there is a tolerance in Paul's words here which would bless the whole world if it was more widely imitated. And here in verses 21 through 24, Paul bruised both life and death as the means of magnifying the Lord Jesus. And Paul said, anyone for me to live in Christ can also say to die is to gain. So this Pauline statement is more than a mere complaint of him being in prison. To depart and be with Christ is far better, he said. And no Christian to dread death. Whatever Paul could have meant by such words as these, the confidence is justified that the after-death state of Christians will be far better than any earthly life, however 
and however many blessings they have received in verse 23. Verse 27 says, One thing Paul expected of every Christian was that he should stand fast in the faith because it was certain that Satan would use every device to induce Christians to waver or defeat because the world at that time, as it always has been, was a hostile environment for Christianity and Christians. And Paul said that a Christian life could be lived successfully only by those who were determined to fight with all their strength in order to maintain their integrity. And it's clear here that Paul expected the Philippians to do just that, striving for the faith of the gospel as power in the soul. And he says that because to you it has been granted in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer in his behalf, having the same conflict with which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Verse 29 through 30 goes on to say, that the same evil hatred of the darkness against the light was the motivation of persecution against both Paul and the Philippians. And his own suffering were the same as theirs with regards to cause and motivation of both. And Paul ends this epistle on behalf of Christ, that Paul's purpose here was to bring home to the Philippians the high dignity and the privilege of suffering for the cause of the Lord. These words, he shared with them the fellowship of suffering in the name of Christ. This ends our Bible study. I pray God's word has shed some light on things for you. I'll see you next time, right here, the same time. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook. At peace, keep God first. First being written, 1ST. Oh, and don't forget to check in with God from time to time, 24 hours. God bless you and keep you until we meet again. Bye.